0: The church is made up by just a a, a wide, a disparate spectrum of people. You you might think that the church is for morally upright people. Well, there is somebody who you would consider fits into that category in in Acts, comes to faith. Her name is Lydia. She's a follower of the, uh, the God of the Bible. She's a Jewess. She's also a very influential, upright person. She's very rich. She trades in purple cloth. Uh, She is, if you like, she's the ideal person, the person that is a respectable member of the community. Uh, And um, Lydia is converted in Philippi. Then we read of... I mean, talk about the other end of the spectrum. We read of a slave girl who's converted, a slave girl who is owned by uh, some men, uh, and she's a fortune teller. She's probably been abused. She's not a reputable person in the community. I mean... Lydia and the slave girl—you couldn't have got further away. And yet, they both come to faith in Jesus. They both form the beginning of the church. Uh, and you might think, "Well, I'm neither that nor I'm that, guys. You know, I've got this. I've got this image. Uh, I, I, I am—I'm an okay guy. Uh, I'm one of the boys, and uh, I." You know, I we know, don't we? we? We might put a front up, but the reality is that deep down inside, we're very often, we're not like that, but we like to have the front. Uh, and the next, guy, the next person who's converted, it's as if to say, you know, morally upright, well, you might not consider yourself that, but neither, neither do you consider yourself somebody who's weak and uh, owned by other people. You know, you're a standalone kind of person. Well, the next person who's converted in Philippi is a Roman jailer. Somebody who is a man's man, somebody who is, no doubt, uh, very confident in himself, and yet he reaches a point of crisis in his life and he realizes he cannot rely on himself. That's why, for me, this book, uh, this letter to this fledgling church is just so relevant for us today. Because it's writing to people who, in their own context, in their own unique situation, which was an important, prosperous place, the place to be, It was people just like you and me, people maybe who are morally upright, people who are browbeaten and owned, people who are standing on their own two feet. That's what the church is made up of, people just like that, different backgrounds, different experiences. And so we come to this 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 evening, we're going to carry on working through this letter that Paul writes to this church. But before we do, before we carry on, I'm just going to pray. That God would help us. Father, we come before you and we pray that uh, through the word that we are now about to unfold uh, and read together and think about, we pray that you might speak to us. We cannot do this alone. Uh, if we rely on our own mental abilities, we will simply gain understanding. If we rely alone on our own heart commitment, we will eventually fall over. We need for you to deal with us. And so we pray that you would deal with us by your grace and mercy this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul has written to this church in Philippi and he's encouraged them. Uh, he's, He's actually a prisoner in Rome. That's the context in which he's writing. He's in prison, he's in chains, and he's writing to this church and saying, now listen, live worthy. Live a life which is what you say you are. I think that's just a great message for us to hear today. If you are claiming to be a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul says this. Now look, just get real. Live a life which is worthy to what you claim to be. And then we roll it on a little bit he says, you've got to do that because of what's about to come. Let's see what we read in verse 27. Because we're going to be considering really from 28 through to the end of the chapter this afternoon. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's the live worthy bit. He's saying, look, just live it out. Be committed to it. Stick together in it. Be faithful and live a life which is worthy of who you are. You are a believer in Jesus. Now live it out. So that's, that's fine. Now he goes on to say, and now here that I have still. That's the words that we read here in this particular chapter. I think it just, it, it's as though the, 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 the lid is pulled off here of a huge issue. A huge issue which faces and will face, I guess, all of us at some point in time. What happens when life doesn't work out the way we hoped it would. What happens when opposition comes? What happens when, Paul uses the word here, we end up suffering? And more particularly, when we end up suffering because we are living in a way which is consistent with being a believer in Jesus Christ. That's, that's just kind of grassroots stuff, real stuff. We live in a world which is pretty messed up, isn't it? Uh, even our own experiences. Some of you younger guys, you probably, you've probably not reached the point yet. You know, um, you're still indestructible. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Um, but life goes on and you, suddenly you realize you're not. You now things hit you. Uh, So if it hasn't hit you yet, I don't want to be a harbinger of doom, but it will hit you at some point. You know, you will get knocked over by something at some point in the future, even if life has been great up to now. I want to ask the question, how do we know that we are able to stand? How are we able to stand when that kind of opposition comes? How can we be sure Because I don't know about you, but for all of the front, I'm not confident that I can stand in my own strength for you. I can't do it. And yet Paul says here, uh, and the word of God calls us to live a life which is consistent and then to stand firm in the future, no matter what opposition hits you. There was a story that I picked up on on the internet during this past week. happened in the past year, which for me captures... um, uh, the paradox of life uh, and the reality that for people even the greatest hope can bring the greatest pain. Her name was Torian Hansen. She was an American. She is an American. And uh, she went over to Vladivostok uh, in, in, the, in Russia, adopted uh, a little boy. Uh, his name was Artem. And um, a couple of years later, Uh, Torian sent Artem back on a one-way ticket under the care of the cabin staff of the uh, airline with a little note saying she didn't want him anymore. Please annul the adoption. (laughs) Wow. That is... That is... Mind-blowing, isn't it? But I want us to just stop for a minute. This woman's all of her hopes, all of her hope for the future was wrapped up in the joy that an adopted son was going to bring. But it didn't work out. Actually, what happened during the two years... Was uh, Artem developed behavioural problems? All sorts of issues developed as he as he progressed. He realised that he was going to have all sorts of behavioural difficulties, uh, learning difficulties, and he became just a handful. And behind the scenes, this woman who had committed so much resource to going out to uh, to Russia, to going through the whole process of adopting. Uh, son and bringing him back to America reached a point where she, she felt so broken so shattered by the experiences that she was going through that the only way out she could come to terms with was to send him back with a note saying I can't do it anymore. I, I think that story for me captures uh, yes the brokenness of Artem's situation, and yet behind the scenes there's always something else going on, isn't there? You know, we can, don't we jump on bandwagons? <laughs> don't we just jump on bandwagons? I mean, you know, I, I think the popular press do it uh, fantastically well, don't they? they? just pick up this story and oh, just slate it. Well, stop. Here's somebody who is in th- themselves just so shattered by life that the only way out is to send this little boy back with a note. I want to ask the question, when when life ends up like that, when the opposition piles up like that and it increases and it increases and the situations and the opposition, maybe because you have made a commitment to being a Christian, I don't want to kind of gloss over this, Jesus didn't gloss over what it was like to be a Christian, He said this. Listen, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, For whoever is going to take up his cross, you've got to lay down your life so that you can live. That's what he said. He he invited uh, those who were seeking to follow him to die. (laughs) That's some rallying message, isn't it? You know, let Jesus come, come and start a new whole world order. Uh, and let me encourage you, one of the strap lines to use is to invite your followers to come and die. That is not a great marketing tool, is it? But thank God that the Son of God, Jesus himself, was honest and truthful when he called people to follow him. Of the disciples who did follow him, uh, with the exception of one, every one of them had died prematurely. Because they were followers of Jesus. Jesus was real when he said, the cost of following me can be pretty dramatic. How can we be sure, therefore, that in following Jesus, in making that commitment to follow him... That we are actually going to be able to fulfill what we are called to do here. How can I be sure that I can share in the suffering? How can I be sure that I will not be fearful of the opponents? You might be at this point just beginning your journey as a Christian. Um, Let me say, right at this point in time, it is very likely that the next period of time is going to be really difficult. How are you going to stand? That's what's at stake. So I want to ask the question, therefore, how do we know that we can keep going? Uh, The first thing I think we've got to do is, is we've got to understand the opponents. We've got to understand the opponents because we're called to do something remarkable. Jesus himself calls us To love our enemies. Paul talks here as the the one who is presenting the power of the message of God by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word to us. That is saying, don't be fearful of your opponents. On the one hand, don't be fearful. On the other hand, Jesus says, you've got to love your enemies. And you've got to pray for them. You've got to uh, lay down yourself... ...for their sake. We've got to hold that. Because that is not inconsistent... ...with what God's word is also calling us to do here. We've got to not be fearful... ...but we've not got to uh, achieve that strength... ...if you like... uh, ...by building up some sort of uh, resistance... ...opposition to those opponents. No, we've got to love... And at the same time, not be fearful. How can we do that? How can we not be frightened? You know, it really costs something to be a Christian in Philippi. Everybody during that day was a worshipper of the Roman gods. Everybody just worshipped the Roman gods. You could, you could worship your own family gods as well. That's fine, no problem. But you must be a worshipper of the Roman gods. Uh, and the consistent worship of the Roman gods by the whole of society, by the whole of the city, was what secured the, the well-being of the city. And uh, uh, at the next level down... You had to worship the Roman gods to secure the well-being of your family. You know, you could worship your own family gods as well, but you worshipped the deities of Rome so that the city would be okay and so that your family would be okay. And the message of Jesus come, breaks into people's lives and it says this, No longer be a worshipper of those gods, be a worshipper of alone, alone of the one true God. You see what that means for those people on that day. Why is Philippi, why is Philippi going down the neck? Why is our family struggling? Why is it tough? Why have I lost my job? Why is my business burnt down? Well, it's because that person over there in the family isn't sticking with us and being a worshipper of the God's ostracized, separated cut off. You're the one who's letting us down. That's what it would have meant back then. And therefore you would be opposed, wouldn't you? (laughs) Nothing changes. I've had so many conversations. You know what? Since you became a Christian the family just isn't gelling the way it once was. You know what? We're not doing things and you're not You're not with us in this and that. You're different now. You've changed. It's not like it was. Tension comes. Difficulties come. See the kind of opposition that can grow by what's going on in the kind of change in life that uh, that comes about by being a follower of Jesus. It was the same in Philippi as it is today. You live differently and you become the point of, well, you become the point of blame. How can we stand when that happens? How do we know we're not going to fall apart? How do we know we're not going to become fearful of those opponents? The reason that I read the previous, that we read earlier, Penny read for us, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. And I think that this little section is the key section for holding the two things together. How can we love those who oppose us and at the same time stand firm? First thing, we've got to understand who the true opposition is. We read this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. It says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of The family, the neighbors, the work colleagues, society? No. So that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let's get that. Let's get a hold of that and understand that. What we we see now is that although we might be opposed on a day-to-day basis by normal, natural events in this world, what the Bible opens up to us is the opposition is at a a deeper, bigger, cosmic level. The opposition that we face is the opposition that is faced by every human being who is made in the image of God, and more particularly by those who love Jesus. You're going to be opposed. And Satan is going to use all sorts of schemes, all sorts of situations, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's work colleagues, whether it's uh, society itself, whether it's you looking in the mirror and seeing the issues that are going on with inside of you, all of these things will be militated against you to, to knock you, to attack you, to bring suffering into your life. That's why Paul is able to say, uh, I, I, I put into one um, list... All of the things that I've suffered for the sake of the gospel. I've been put in prison. I've been stoned. I've been beaten. Now, All of those kind of things, they happen by human beings doing that. He's been directly opposed. I've been shipwrecked. I've been shipwrecked. Well, that wasn't people, was it? He says, I wanted to come to see you, but it was Satan who stopped me. Paul understood and he conveys to us today there is a bigger picture of the opposition that is going on. The threat uh, and the the challenge to you is, is bigger than the individuals. In fact, the individuals who are opposing you are kind of wrapped up in it unbeknownst. And that's what makes it possible for us to pray for our enemies. That's what makes it possible for us to love our enemies as Jesus said because we're able to see there's something deeper behind this that is opposing me. It is what is opposing Jesus in this world. So how can I stand? If I begin to understand that that the opposition that I face has, if you like, another layer, uh, a bigger layer, a cosmic layer, which is a layer of opposition uh, from the, the powers and authorities of this world, which is militated against me. How can I stand? And in fact, more importantly, how can I come to terms with what we read in verse 29? For it is being granted to you for the sake of Christ... That you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. That's kind of tying us to Jesus, isn't it? We believe in Him and we suffer for His sake. We become, if you like, almost one in Him. Well, that's the kind of language that Paul uses all over the place. We become one with Christ. We we gain through this opposition an insight into what? Into the kind of opposition that Jesus himself faced in this world. It's as though we are encouraged here to say join with this in believing in Jesus Christ we we become absorbed into an understanding of the opposition that he experienced in life. The kind of opposition which endured physical suffering, shortage, hunger, thirst, deprivation, didn't have a roof over his head, was poor, was broken. And then right at the very end of his life, when he most needed his friends, they abandoned him. Maybe you can really relate to that. Maybe you can know what it is to be abandoned by somebody who you needed just at that critical moment and they weren't there. That's real suffering, isn't it? Now on one level we can understand that, on another level we could say, do you understand that Satan hates every human being who is made in the image of God so much that he wants to break us? He wants us to feel broken. He wants us to be shattered in that way. Jesus experienced what it was like to be abandoned right at that very moment when he needed his friends. In human terms, they were nowhere. They were gone. He was handed over to evil men, we read. Peter says, who was handed over to evil men. It was as though at that point in time, all of the hatred and venom of man, of, of man, was kind of pointed towards him, but behind it, all of the hatred and venom of the cosmic powers opposing jesus were being channeled directly to him everything being forced against him and then amazingly and in a way that we can't even begin to come to terms with it also says in the bible that it pleased the father to bruise him i don't understand that i cannot understand the depth of that truth But somehow I've got to hold those two things together. That in the one sense, he he is broken by his father. And in the other sense, he knows all of the venom of the opposition of evil forces against him at that point in time. And when we suffer, when we suffer, it's as though we gain a little insight into what he suffered. I walked a mile with sorrow, not a word spoke she, but oh, the things I learned when sorrow walked with me. You know what? We don't learn stuff in the frothy things in life, do we? We don't really learn stuff in the deeps, in the frothy stuff. We learn stuff that is life-changing in the tough times. And so we read here, there is an invitation by God to say, believe in Christ, my Son, and at the same time, enter into the hardship and difficulty, but with a new vision and a new understanding and a new experience that He has gone before you. And experienced it already. Now, how therefore do I know that I'm going to stand? How can I not be fearful of the opposition? How can I know that I am going to get through this suffering? There is only one answer to that, and it is not because I am strong. It's because He has done it. Because He has endured suffering. He has been absolutely, completely, and ultimately crushed in human terms. And then risen again. Triumphantly breaking through that suffering and and triumphing victoriously over it. You know, the cosmic powers funneled in towards him, everything militating against him, broken, dead, in a tomb, victory for the cosmic forces. Woof! He lives. Isn't that amazing? Who wins? Jesus. Who triumphs? Jesus. Who's the victor? Jesus. Jesus. And therefore, who gets blown apart in this life? I do. Who gets opposed? I do. You do. Who faces suffering, which on the one hand is the events of this life, and on the other hand, with a different pair of glasses on, we see that it is the cosmic forces being wielded against us who crushes us to a point where we fall apart We do. Who eventually die, we do. And yet, because Jesus lives, we live. How will you ever face opposition? How will you ever ultimately stand victorious? You never will. I never will in my own strength. That is what this is about. Join in the sufferings. Not because we want to whip ourselves and beat ourselves. Because it gives an understanding that if he suffered and rose again, then I'm going to be there as well. I'm going to be there as well if I trust in him. Do you? Because that's the crunch question really, isn't it? Do I have that kind of trust in Jesus that says, I don't need to fear the opposition. Suffering can come my way and I'm not going to just sort of say, oh, it's all kind of cool and I can handle it. No, it can can drive me down to my knees, but I am not going to be beaten. Because He... Has triumphed. I know this. Because. He. Has adopted me. I have been brought into his family. I have been taken into relationship with him. I have been secured in his success. The amazing thing is this. In being adopted by Jesus. He adopts me. You know what happens? He knows it all along. It's not a shock to him. But I develop all kinds of behavioral problems. I've got all sorts of issues going on. I'm adopted into his family and I do not change the way I ought to. I carry on messing up. I carry on living and failing. I carry on living in a way which is not consistent, is not living worthy, even though I desire to live worthy. I'm a mess. You know what Jesus says? I will never, never put a note in your hand and send you off rejecting you because you've not delivered what I need. I will never abandon you. You can develop all of the kind of behavioral problems that would make me think that I should reject you, but I won't. You might be sat here thinking, I'm not sure whether I can keep this Christian life up if I make a commitment. You might be really fearful of that. Jesus won't abandon you. He won't send you off packing with a note saying, I want to annul this adoption. Because he can triumph over all of our failures. I want to ask you this evening. It's the beginning of a new year, isn't it? We don't know what this coming year is going to bring. We don't know what's going to happen. For some it might be a great year. For some it might be a year with real difficulty. How do you know that you're going to get through it? I would say that you cannot know that you will get through it in your own strength. You need and I need the securing hope of jesus who has triumphed over all of the opposition over all of the suffering and therefore he says don't fear the opposition don't fear the opponents you will stand not because you're great but because i've stood you need that i need that i want to encourage you to be sure that you have that